When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. California. My name, in fact, is Michael, and I am a mere figment of your imagination. First time listeners, thanks for dropping in. Pleased to meet you. The pleasure is all yours. This show is better than a fatal accident. Joining me tonight, it's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. These shows are always quite fun. Now, without further ado, we will get right to business. But before that, good morning and good evening. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Guten Morgen to our listeners outside of America. Thank you to those inside of America as well for your support. If you were here last night for the show, the video was removed because we played audio from the Jimmy Kimmel show, specifically his interview with Hunter Biden. I guess that did not sit well with them, so that episode was yanked. However, you can listen to that episode in its entirety by searching Michael Deacon on all podcast platforms. Cheap plug over. Now let's get down to brass taxes and unmute our friends who are currently waiting right now. And Scott, are you out there? I am way out. Way out there. I love that. And I believe Sandra is also with us, correct? Yes, I am. Right here. There she is. I'm so glad both of you are with us. We have so much to discuss, and I'm glad that both of you are in good health. I, well, at least I hope both of you are in good health tonight. In perfect health. Excellent. Very nice. Very nice. Very, very nice. And, you know, it's not every day or every show, rather, where I get to talk to people in my own backyard. Yes, we are in your backyard right now. Literally. Yes. <laughs> yes, I can almost feel you. And uh, by the way, for those that don't know, Scott, you are also the author of a very good book, by the way. I'm not just saying that because you are on the program, but I actually really enjoyed the book that you put out. 
Well, I'm glad not everybody will say that. I actually have at the beginning of the book, God Reconsidered, a forewarning instead of a foreword because it's definitely not for everybody. Right. God Reconsidered, for those out there wondering, and by the way, Sandra, there's so much to discuss with you as well, but we will start with Scott. Uh, Scott, definitely tell us a little bit about yourself as we get to know you a little bit better here on the program. Well, for better or worse, um, I came to write God Reconsidered, and I, and I have a dedicated website uh, called GodReconsidered.com, and I also have a Facebook page that has a lot of free content. And uh, the my background that led to writing it and why the book is distinctive is essentially this. Um, I grew up in a Mormon household, and the Reader's Digest propaganda for the Mormon church wants people to think that it's an ordinary Christian group, except the Mormons have nice families, and they don't drink coffee, alcohol, and they don't smoke. But that really obscures the Christian heresy of Mormonism. It's quite radical, and uh, among other things, you grow up hearing all kinds of supernatural stories. So it, I took stories about uh, angels and dead ancestors visiting and stuff right? Uh, kind of in stride. And uh, I was not just a faithful Mormon. I went on a mission to Germany, Achtung, and I uh, had a lot of what I regarded as miraculous experiences. And I talked to some fascinating people and I was a defender of the church against the Orthodox Christians who thought it needed to be persecuted until 1989. And for recreational purposes, I was studying the UFO uh, phenomenon. I thought it would just be fun to know something about it. I didn't think that, you know, you could really resolve it to see if it was a real thing. And then I stumbled across the abduction phenomenon. And Mormons actually believe in uh, people on other planets. It's part of their theology. Right. And uh, so that shouldn't have bothered me, except the deeper I got into the abduction phenomenon, the weirder I realized it was. And it began to challenge my sanity and my theology, and kind of this helped trigger a mystical experience in January 1989, and I was able to see, through what I call direct knowledge, the fundamental lie behind all mainstream religions, East and West, which was a benign God created this world so we could come here, exercise our free will, obey whatever set of commandments there are, and then we either move on to a better incarnation or heaven or whatever it is. And at the same time I was kind of going through this awareness, I also began to read a lot more about history and prehistory, going back a couple hundred thousand years, and I realized, boy, we really are isolated from reality. I mean, most people, for example, don't 
realize that uh, about 300 Yeah, that worked. There you are, Scott. How are you? Yeah, uh, did we get cut off by a phone call to you or to us? We can't even tell because the phone didn't ring, really. I mean, we heard her ring. I thought it was you guys. It wasn't coming from my end. Yeah, okay. It it is possible. (laughs) I mean, normally we get like a regular phone ringing, but we're on speakerphone. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your, what's the best number to reach you on? I mean, well, we're live right now. It's okay. Okay. Yeah, you guys sound great now. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure if it was our phone that we could call you back or something anyway. No, we're good. I don't don't know what's going on. But anyway, so the bottom line, shall I just continue? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Okay. So the bottom line was that I realized that most people are not aware that 300 to 500 million people died of smallpox in the 20th century. Uh, there was no vaccine till the 1960s, speaking of kind of contemporary issues. And I also learned that about a quarter of all children ever born died in childhood. And I learned that there are 700 genetic diseases and 400 mental emotional diseases. And among other things, I suddenly realized that in the beginning of Genesis, when it said, when God got to the seventh day, he declared the creation very good. So I thought, but it isn't very good. Most people who have ever lived have basically just barely survived. They haven't had time to develop spiritually. And most of our lives, even today, are taken up with really irrelevant distractions. If we think we're here for some great destiny or moral purpose, The reality is we're sleeping a third of the time, we're studying, commuting, working a third of the time, and we've still got to eat and shop. And if we have any free time, we're not involved in spiritual practices. We're watching videos, we're on Twitter, watching sports. So the theme of all mainstream religions that um, God is benevolent and we're here to follow this grand search for truth, and graduate from this life didn't make any sense. And the deeper I got into it, the more I realized I needed to search spiritually, and I ended up um, uh, going on interviewing shortly after my mystical experiences. I had two of them in 1989. I interviewed the famous paranormal author Scott Rogo, And uh, I wasn't sure where I was going to place the interview. This was the only really in-depth interview he had ever done. And um, I did the interview and uh, set it aside, went on vacation. And when I came back, he had been murdered. And there's a whole story behind the police using psychics to identify his murderer. And this became the start of my career covering the paranormal for Fate Magazine because his interview uh, ran in Fate Magazine in 1990. So um, that's the long story long about how I came to write this book. This book is the culmination of my traveling the world, looking at Buddhism and Hinduism 
some of these trips with Sandra, who has her own interesting story. Right. And it, when I finally discovered Gnosticism, which I decided had the most truthful philosophy that explained evil and suffering in the world, I wanted to share that. So in uh, 2014, uh, the end of 2014 is when I um, published God Reconsidered. So it's kind of um, my effort to show other people how I came to figure out what the middle path is between mainstream religion and atheism. Understood. And of course, you started off as a Mormon. And was that something your parents instilled inside of you, Scott? Well, I grew up in a Mormon household. My father was a convert, and my mother had a long line of there we go. Who were Mormons? Um, however, um, and quite frankly, uh, Mormon leaders actually encouraged members to search other religions and learn from them because they recognized that within one's culture, uh, the truth might be colored by whatever wherever you live. And uh, Brigham Young, for example, said, uh, "Go to other churches. You know, listen to other." religious teachers, and you'll learn things. So they have a very open-minded attitude towards this. And so I had an interest in the supernatural and um, other religions and stuff early on. I didn't consider that in conflict. Understood. And what about those that say the Mormon church is like a cult, per se? Well, (laughs) I'm sure you get that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, first of all, Christian, conventional Christianity is a cult. And I say that because uh, when I was Mormon, we accept, the Mormons accept the New Testament more or less literally, but it wasn't fully until I read um, Bart Ehrman, the uh, former evangelical scholars, um, Jesus Interrupted, and then later Richard Smalley's How God Became God, that I understood how uh, conventional Christians filter the understanding of the Bible through a certain propaganda that's been in place on how to interpret it since Constantine. And the reality is, when you go back and you read the four Gospels, just to give you an example, they completely contradict each other. Um, the, the kind of the most symbolic example of that is, uh, you know, on Christmas Eve, you might have a little family play or uh, something at church where it shows the wise men and the shepherds showing up to the baby Jesus at the same time. And they kind of try to blend all four stories together. And the reality is that's quite remarkable is laid out by Bart Ehrman that if you've been hearing the official story, you don't notice this, but Every single gospel contradicts the other ones. Uh, You take like the last week of Jesus' life, you would think that they could get that in harmony. And yet, none of the things things that they say about the Last Supper, his crucifixion, where things occurred, what happened after the resurrection, none of them are in agreement. And if they can't get those things right, those most important things, then it calls into question, obviously these weren't eyewitness reports, 
And uh, furthermore, when you go back and you look at what they decided at the uh, council um, that Constantine convened, uh, many of the, the fundamental doctrines of modern Christianity, like the Trinity and salvation and atonement and a lot of these other things, they're really not taught by the New Testament. Uh, it, it's really quite astonishing because while Mormons have their distinct doctrines, we grew up believing that you could take the New Testament literally. So when people say it's a cult, um, they the Mormons have a, a kind of a very sophisticated way of interpreting or, or blending the interpretation of the uh, the Bible. They take it kind of literally, but they, they don't take a fundamentalist uh, notion that, you know, it's inerrant and perfect or anything like that. Uh, Mormonism has distinctive doctrines, and they, they have some pretty good scriptural defenses for those. But um, but the people who are pointing the finger at it as a cult really don't even know. And I've been on debates, incidentally, with Orthodox scholars, and um, they are absolutely clueless. So uh, part of what I do in God Reconsider is I have a chapter going through what mainstream Christianity teaches, and um, then I show what what the Bible actually says and why it doesn't make any sense. And Embedded behind that is my criticism of all mainstream religions, which is that the premise that we're created and incarnated for a benevolent reason makes no sense when you look at human history and prehistory, and we can get into more detail about that. Yeah, no worries, and I'm with you. I'm on board uh, with most of what you just said. But going back to Mormonism really quickly here, the seer stones, you know, very unusual for me as as an outsider, of course, you know, looking in. That's always been a very strange one. The story of Joseph Smith, uh, you know, it's that's a very um, in my mind, it seems a little irrational, Scott. Well, I would recommend since I've read the critics and I had many debates with the critics. Sure. And, and I read the Mormon side of things. The best book anybody could ever read is by Richard Bushman, who is a liberal Mormon scholar. He's got the most objective biography ever written on Joseph Smith. The rest of them are, quite frankly, trash, and I've read most of them. It's called Rough Stone Rolling. And there are a couple of others. If people want to get serious about this, um, another member of the church who's quite liberal, Mark Coltco Rivera, wrote a book called Rise of the Mormons in which he shows why Mormonism is sounder and more appealing, why it's growing so fast relative to other Christian groups. Um, and finally, a non-Mormon, Harold Bloom, the great Shakespeare scholar, wrote a book called The American Religion. And one of the things he points out is that Mormonism is one of the few living religions. Um, just to give you one example, you know, most people may not realize this, but at the Kirtland Temple dedication, uh, thousands of people were there, and they all claimed to have seen angels around it, just like with the Marian visions at Fatima and elsewhere. You know, there were like 40,000 witnesses, some of them atheists, 
Well, Mormonism is one of the few religions that has those kind of supernatural manifestations. And Harold Bloom uh, documents a lot of these things, and he points out the uh, progressivism of Mormon ideas so that when you really get down into it, things that Christianity thinks are heretical, like looking into a seersome, um, you know, people don't know the story behind that, which is when Joe, and we have lots of witnesses, including people who later left the church, they helped Joseph Smith transcribe the Book of Mormon. He would look through these little stones and read off what he saw. They would write it down and he would just read in a stream of consciousness. It wasn't like he made notes and stuff like that. He was, you know, he was not well educated. And uh, a lot of the archaeological things turned out to be surprisingly correct. Uh, but more to the point, the people who became disillusioned with him, they later said, yes, I saw an angel visit us. Uh, and, you know, they were witnesses. They, they granted that he had supernatural powers. Um, so when you hear the full story, it really uh, is an affirmation of the things that he said, because even his, his later enemies, who had once been close to him, agreed that there were these angels appearing and other things like that. This is, these things are not known to outsiders because, you know, they think he's a fraud. It's like Scientology, so they think it must just be some kind of, of uh, you know, scheme. And incidentally, I don't know if most people know this, Mormons don't have professional clergy. Nobody makes money. They're all volunteers. And so uh, this isn't like a lot of cults where somebody's getting rich off it, you know. Oh, yes, like our friends who are raking in the millions, like Kenneth Copeland. Right. <laughs> yes, one of our favorites. He's, yes, he's one of my favorites as well, especially here on this program. We all love him here. <laughs> yeah, he's a big hit here. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> Um, but yes, I, I will be honest with you, Scott. I am an open-minded atheist. Sometimes I'm anti-theist. It just depends on my mood uh, to be, you know, to be honest. But let me be diaphanously clear with you. All that means is I'm not entirely convinced in a supreme being. That doesn't mean I'm close-minded. It doesn't mean I'm a militant atheist. I've always been somewhat skeptical. But, you know, I enjoy the notion that life goes on somehow, somewhere. I like that. I really do. I would categorize that as, as hope, not faith, though. I just, you know, I, I don't see any evidence of an active God interacting with okay. society right now. That's all. Yeah, right. So you you actually are my kind of my target audience because, yes, sir. you uh, know, I went mm -hmm. through my, my atheistic phase after my mystical experiences. You know, I want to emphasize um the things that are the, the the problem with the militant atheists, and I know that you've had Michael Schirmer on your show, and I clash. He's with been them. regular, yes. Yeah. The um. The let me tell you what the problem is, as I gradually discovered with the militant atheists, is they're not truly skeptics. A, a, a true skeptic keeps an open mind. The problem is that when you dig into it, you find out that they are as fanatically closed-minded crusaders as the evangelicals, and I would attribute that to some childhood trauma with religion. And, and I'll give you some examples. Um, Marcelo Truzzi, 
used to be the editor of the Skeptical Inquirer, which, along with the Skeptics Magazine, is one of the two major Skeptic Society publications. And he wrote a book called The Blue Sense, which is about how he discovered that there really are, are a lot of psychics who have helped the police and they've had astonishing success, and I've known some of them. And, um, and this ties in to the evidence for ESP. There is a massive amount of evidence for ESP. The best book on the subject is Dean Radin's The Conscious Universe. And, um, you know, a lot of people might be a little surprised to know that that hardcore infamous atheist Sigmund Freud said he knew telepathy occurred because he had regular experiences reading his patient's mind and vice versa. If people will understand that what is supernatural is not super, it's a paranormal phenomenon in most cases. Now, the way... Uh, Dean Radin discovered this as he was a hardcore bell engineer and he had an opportunity to read the research in the Soviet Union, atheist of course, this goes back, you know, into the 80s right. um, and the 70s, uh, where they were researching things like ESP, which they recognized as a natural phenomenon, certain paranormal things. And there are other things I could point to. Um, psychokinesis, you know, being able to move things with your mind and stuff like that. Now, Sandra and I have had a lot of experience with these things because we became reporters for Fate magazine, and she can tell you she's known some famous psychics, and she has psychic abilities herself, And uh, but these are not supernatural. So if one is an open-minded atheist, you don't have to believe in God. Um, but you can accept cer certain phenomena. Now, part of my book is to call into question the notion of why they're suffering in the world. How could God be benevolent and allow suf unjustified suffering in the world? So that is kind of what my book addresses. But the opening chapters show the evidence for ESP is a natural phenomenon. The second chapter is on UFOs. And I show this also is not um, something you have to regard as supernatural. There is plenty of evidence for UFOs, whatever their source, and yet the militant skeptics absolutely fight it. And I show in my chapter on this that they lie knowingly because I went, I looked at the uh, experts that the skeptics groups rely on and what they say about certain famous cases, and then I went back and looked at the original record, and I show in God Reconsidered, which people can look at uh, at uh, godreconsidered.com or my Facebook page for God Reconsidered. I, ha I have a chapter that I post periodically on this, on UFOs, and it shows that they brazenly lied about the incidents, what actually happened. And I give three really good examples. And then the final chapter addressed to skeptics is on near-death experiences and the evidence for afterlife. And it is surprisingly compelling. And the reason skeptics are not aware about how strong this evidence is, is they read what skeptics have to say about it. 
Um, just to give you one example, and then maybe Sandra will, and you can have a conversation, but one example is you are led to believe that all the near-death experiences can be explained biochemically, that the drugs that are natural at the pro during the process of death or involved in surgery trying to save somebody, these can explain the fantasy, supposedly, that people have that they're leaving their body and so forth. Actually, it's exactly the opposite. If you look at the biochemical evidence, they should be having these kinds of experiences when you look at the drugs involved and the biochemistry and everything like that. And I go into great detail about this and I cite other sources about it. So what I would say is an atheist, nothing wrong with being an atheist. Um, technically, Buddhists are atheists if they're intellectually sophisticated and not kind of the common uh, worshiper of Buddha or something like that. But there's nothing wrong with atheism uh, except if it doesn't allow for a reality beyond what we consider the natural world. And that's where they go wrong. And then the secondary question is, um, you know, how do you explain the justice and the suffering in the world, which we can address later? Yes, we'll circle back to that as well as UFOs. I would love to uh, talk about that with you here, Scott, but let's bring in Sandra for a moment here and have a word with her. Uh, Sandra, how are you? I'm great. Very glad nice. Very nice. I'm glad you are here, Sandra. There's so much to discuss with you as well. And you had a very very interesting background yourself. Yes, I have a very interesting background indeed. Um, I was a very rebellious young girl, very unhappy childhood, and um, looked, in, looked in all the books. And then I had my first near-death experience, and it was so profound that I didn't want to come back. It was so profound that I just absolutely didn't want to come to this place anymore. I was forced back, and that was the beginning of my search for not the academics anymore, but for the invisible world. Now I wanted in, and I started doing all my research and books, Introduction to Hermetics, The Golden Dawn, the real books on real magic, thinking I would never in a million years luck out and find it in this stage of our uh, existence. I thought it was way past time, but lo and behold, Somebody came into my life, and again, I thought it was nothing because he was a, a, a very unlikely-looking person. I thought, like most charlatans, he talks a big game, nothing much would happen. And then, in uh, 1984, 1974, um, he, he said he'd come over and do something with me, and he came on a motorcycle. I was so sure it was nothing, I had prepared to go out that evening to a uh, party, and uh, it was Christmas Eve, 74, and he came over with his little bag of tools and asked me if I'd ever, ever been in a magic circle, and I said, no, but I've read about them, I know about them, I've, you know, read it was a very serious thing, and he said, well, we're going to work this way, but you have to promise me not to leave the magic circle once we start. I said, okay, and I was very nonchalant, thinking it would be very little, nothing much. And I sat there, 
And all of a sudden, with his little bag of tools, he starts his incantations, north, south, east, and west. And as he's working, the energy in the room starts to explode to such an extent that my hair stood on end. I was never so scared in my life. Round and round and round, I thought I could not bear I thought I was going to die for sure. So I could not stand this. This was like something out of a movie. Reminded me of Rosemary's Baby and the Exorcist. The energy was so strong. I was so frightened. I didn't know where it was going, where it was going at all. I'm sitting in this circle, and I promised not to move. And I don't think I could have moved anyway. And all of a sudden, after about, I don't know how much time went by, but I think I kind of blanked out for a while and went unconscious or something. But I came back, and I know my thought was, my God, it works, you know, it really does work. Well, I heard him say, his voice kind of faded off into the background, and all of a sudden I heard him say, we're gone. I live in this townhouse with two front windows and a front door, and it seemed like it was, I've been there for some time, and he said, we're gone, we're gone. The two windows flew open, the door opened up, and I had my head down, scared out of my wits, and I said very timidly, can I leave the circle and close the windows and the door? And he said, yes. And I had my head down. I figured, what did I invite into my life? Is this the devil? What is this? I don't want anything to do with this person ever again. Ever, 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 ever. And I got up and I closed the windows and the door, crept back, and I said something to the effect of, I wouldn't even look him in the eye. I was so scared. And he said, you'll be all right. I said, no, I won't. And I was so, I already met Scott at that time. In fact, Scott had met this teacher. I call him the teacher. And for about a year or so, when I woke up in the morning, the concern I had, what I had the teacher work with me on, the uh, issue was kind of lightened, and I felt fabulous. I said, wow, this feels great. I felt like unburdened, like something was lifted off me. And this lasted for a few months, and this teacher kept on calling me. I kept on saying, no, I never want to see you again. Never, never, never. This went on for about a year, a year and a half or so. Finally, maybe I can work with him. Maybe I can stomach it. I sure like that energy in a way. So I invited him back into my life. And that was the beginning of eight years of working with the teacher. I would say we did what he called operations two a year or so. By the way, Sandra, I have to uh, stop you there. Can you get a little bit closer to your speaker there for us? Most of, most of them were for my own personal relationships, which were usually going bad. But this one was for my father, who was in intensive care. My mother was frantic. She said, he can't die. She was so frantic. I said, could you, would you work with me on this? He said, well, and he did, and it took eight hours or so. I said to my mother, I said, listen, he's not going to go now. He's got five years or so, maybe five years and three months. He got out of intensive care. He lasted five years and three months, I swear. My mother was able to cope with his demise, you know, because it was a long time, but she saw who he was. And this was the beginning, and you know, it lasted about eight years or so till we moved, and things happened. 
I did work with him for a while. I found it very challenging because I put in four or five hours a day to try to duplicate what I was learning. But I was very happy to become the vessel, and that means like a helper for the energy that he provided. By the way, Sandra, how, how old were you during this experience that you are detailing here? This was in 74. I was like, you know, many years ago. Um, I was like 30-something, 25. Okay. And, uh, you know, I was blonde and gorgeous, and I was a model, and of course... You had it going on, Sandra, in other words. What? I said you had it going on at the time. I had it going on. Right. But I was a very, as I said, curious and insatiable curiosity for the invisible world and the things that I wanted to experience, never thinking I would luck out. And I already met Scott at this point, and Scott had come over and I told him what happened, and he had met the teacher. Spent a little time with him, so he knew who he was. He was a real thing. And uh, it was, I think, the most important event in my entire life to this day. It's number one. That was the beginning of many adventures with Scott later on. We were together like 25 years or so, and we've been all over the world, and every place we go, magic happens. Every place we go, fantastic things happen with us. Like we go, for instance, um, I'm not that crazy about classical music. We go to one of our trips, and there we have an obligation to sit with a classical music uh, session, and the music is so profound, the whole audience stood up. It's like every place we go, something happens. It is a magical experience we've been together many, many years. I'll let Scott tell you a little something about that. No worries, no worries. Well, let me just chime in and say something about Sandra's own psychic ability. She's introduced me to a number of well-known psychics like Uri Geller and Peter Herkos and some others, and I've, I've had my own examination of James Van Prague and Bevy Jaggers and some others, and we've gone around and tested psychics. But one of the things we've never really discussed is Sandra has the ability to, when she's on, to touch somebody, and it's a little bit, um, I forget what the technical term is, but she can touch somebody and read their soul or their mind and tell them specifically where they're stuck in their personal and professional lives. I've seen her do this over and over with total strangers on the street. Um, but but there's a thing to know about it, which is, and I learned this from Scott Rogo, he, who had his own talents. He was able to leave his body, astral project, as they call it. And he said, the thing to understand about a lot of psychic phenomena is that it's like a bad electrical connection. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, and you don't really have full control over it. And this is one reason why people that we know have legitimate powers. And I had a chance, for example, to test uh, Uri Geller. Amazing. Uh, after, after I read James Randi's skeptical book on him, and I did what James Randi said, and Uri Geller was able to read my mind in two very specific things. Did you get them out but, of your mind, by the way, Scott? Get them out of your mind. <laughs> and and I, the, the thing is, though, is the problem with a lot of psychics is 
because they know they're genuine, but they also have a sense that they're not always on, they try to push the envelope, you know, using their mind to come up with things and make guesses. And, and so they end up making mistakes or they have a very hard time under, um, discerning what the truth is. Uh, like, for example, with Bevy Jagers, who was a psychic in St. Louis, uh, now dead, um, I went and interviewed a bunch of the police that she had been involved in solving murders for. And, uh, you know, I got very fascinating stories from them. But she wasn't always right. And, and I could, but psychics tend to think they're better than they are. And so between their, their exaggerations to try to make themselves look better or their um, inability to discern truth and error, um, sometimes the critics can catch them in mistakes. But I'm going to let Sandra tell you about Peter Herkos, who I think we would agree is the most interesting person we ever met with a really proven talent. Sandra, why don't you give him yeah. an example? Okay, well, for instance, Peter Harkos was my very best friend for 20 years, and um, I had many times to test him on everything you can imagine. One time when uh, Dean Martin's uh, son was killed in a plane crash. Dean Martin, is Andrew that what you said? Yeah, Andre Paharish was the agent that brought Uri Geller and Peter Harkos to this country many years ago, I guess in the 60s, and um, uh, the uh, Peter Herkos was at the house with Andre Baharish, and they brought over the uniform that uh, Dean Martin's son had worn in the plane crash. Peter had put his hands over the earth, zeroed the place where the, where the plane crashed, was able to locate it, and by the way, Peter, clients with the Queen of England, Robert, uh, President Reagan, people of that statue, President of Sony, uh, top of the world, top of the world. He was the real thing, and he was unbelievable. I watched him do many, many, many things. I'd bring friends over to the house, and I had a crush on some comic that um, was kind of giving me a hard time. And Peter said, bring over, bring him over, I'll, I'll do a reading. And in broken English, he was from Holland, he had a very, very bad command of the language. So I bring over this this comic, and Peter goes into the lady Ben's room with his with his hat. He's touching the hat. He says, "Call me later." He says, "Listen." He said, "This guy is not through with his ex-wife. His ex-wife is having an affair with his best friend. He cares not a whit for you. He's a selfish thing. Get away from him." I said, "Peter, I'm in love with him." He said, "Of course you are." Of course you are. It's silly. He said, and he's going to be in the hospital. He's taking some pill, like a Percodon or something. Right. And his stomach is going to be all, he's not going to die, but he'll be in the hospital. For, everything he said, of course, happened exactly as he, as he said it. And this comic, exactly as he said, all the, every, every, everything always 100% true. So that's the kind of uh, psychic Peter was. He was able to pinpoint everything that you can possibly imagine and was very, very powerful. Had a language barrier, had some negatives, but Andrew Paharish was a very famous scientist who had 40 inventions and Willie Geller 
is mentioned a lot with him. He brought Hillary Geller over here, Audrey Baharish, and there he was really a phenomenal um, example. Anyway, Scott. Yes. By the way, Sandra, don't go away yet. I was just going to ask you, uh, Scott was saying you have, well, he was describing what I'm sort of picking up as sort of like the royal touch, you know, back in the 16th century, they had these sort of like faith healers, as we call them today, but they had the alleged divine touch. Um, Do you have something like that, Sandra? Divine touch, what? You touch people. Yeah, the divine touch, right. I think it was since the uh, near-death experience, because of my background, because of my reading, I became very intuitive. So I touched them, and everybody is kind of like, kind of unhappy in a sense. You see where they're stuck. I could see that they, they're subject to their, their subconscious, which is a million times bigger than their conscious mind. They have a script. My feeling is that everybody follows a script that they grew up with, that their parents and grandparents taught the Goose and the biology belief is a big um, man in this area. And they, they they marry the kind of man that they're, they're programmed to marry. The only way to transcend that right. is a way to transcend hard work. Transcending it would mean stopping all the chatter in your mind. Right, right. Which, um, by heavy meditation, using a light sound machine, possibly, and then getting above the chatter and then knowing how to reconstruct what you want, but you have to know what you want, number one, and you've got to do it properly, which means it has to be done with all the senses, very, all the senses have to be tapped in, which means hot water, the sound of crickets, the sound of birds, the sound of grass, everything has to be authentic, and you've got to do it every single day as a ritual, 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 every day until this thing materializes. That's the only way you can transcend your script. And everybody has a script, some fabulous, some not so fabulous. Some people are successful in life. They're able to overcome any obstacle they were brought up to. And great parents or great, 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 uh, great parents yeah. that have gained so much confidence that they can transcend their script. But not many can, unfortunately. Yes. So that's what goal is. By the way, Sandra, by the way, Sandra, when you uh, were, you know, a very little girl, were your parents heavily religious as well? No, my parents were, my parents were not heavily religious. They were, they were Jewish people. I've been to like, I think, at least 20 schools before I got to high school. I was completely ignored by the teachers who lived so much, they couldn't do much for me. No one ever picked up on it dyslexic. Nobody picked up anything. I self-educated myself the best I could. But no, it was not a very religious family. Or it was not a very good background. And I was totally unhappy as a young girl. And that motivated me. Being that unhappy gave me a big reason for living. Because I went to the movies a lot as a kid. And I thought, gee, live on Park Avenue to hang out with the world's greats. That's what I did. And I went ahead and did that. At 17, I was already living on living on Park Avenue at 18 years of age, already doing all these things, knowing everybody you can think of. I met met all kinds of fabulous people. I hung out with everybody you can think of in New York, and then moved to California, and met Huxley, and hung out with Timothy Leary and Richard Alper, and met Michael Crichton and John Lilly. I was the first person to go into the isolation tank with John Lilly. Oh wow! That was many years ago. So you know about so the I dolphins. Had, what? You know about the, yeah, the dolphins. 
Yes, he did. And he's married to Tony. And uh, I spent a whole week at their house because what happened is I called him. I called that house. Somehow I got a hold of their number. And I called that house in the middle of a, of a kind of like a strange um, semi-little experiment I was doing with some kind of way out drug. Or Wild, yeah. House. And she answered the phone. She put him on the phone. He said to me, you know what? Drive your car to uh, uh, Valibu right now. And how would you like to spend some time in the isolation tank? I invented random. I said, I can't drive my car now. He said, yeah, you can. If you experience utter hell, you can experience utter heaven. So I drove my car up to, up to Pacific Cove, which is where they lived, spent a whole week in the isolation tank, about four or five hours a day. And my only, the only request I had from him was to give a report as to what I found. So I was like one of the very first people to experience the isolation tank. Wow. He was, he was, he was the man. And um, it was a whole week there. And then I found, you know, that we are subject, as I even knew then at that, at that stage of my life, that we're all subject to stimuli that's like not even real. It's like it sets up a pattern. And it was very valuable. But I met all these fabulous people because, as I said, I was a Playboy bunny. I was an actress. I was a model. I was quite the bombshell. So I attracted all these men. And I attracted all these people. And the men were lusting after me. The women were jealous of my beauty. Oh, and my. I was so unconfident and so insecure at that stage in my life that everything affected me. So it took me all this time, all these years, to build up the confidence to know who I am. Yeah. And once you begin to know who you are by educating yourself, by reading enough, by doing enough homework so that you are an authority on subjects. Right now I'm focusing on my general health. I'm learning everything about bioidentical, which is replacing all your hormones, about bleeding properly, the reason for exercising the right way and why you should do it. The book, Younger Next Year, very impressive book. I love the science. I love somebody who explains the science so I understand it. And Scott is reading it too, doing the program with me. We're putting an hour a day, six and seven days a week. Very nice. We are doing it right now. And now we're going to start starting on the breathing exercises. I started the bioidentical. I'm looking for a better doctor at this point. But all this work to do with as you get older, you lose, you lose a lot. How do you get it back? Real science, doctors don't know enough. They just know what they know. They're not, they're not educated in Europe. We are a backward country when it comes to health. Anyway, Scott, you continue. Hold on, Sandra. Don't run off yet. I, I had one more question to ask I'm you. Yeah, in terms of, you know, the spiritual quest you have been on your entire life, it also led you to become a follower of Rajneesh. Yeah, tell me more about that because you know that's a little bit that's a little bit before my time. But you know, thanks to the internet and through videos, I've been able to catch yeah. up. And what I was interested in, I was interested in learning how to break through. And when I was with my teacher, he recommended I had spent eleven years with Gurjeev. I was interested in Gurjeev originally because it was the fourth way of being an observer of life, not falling into the play, but standing outside and watching yourself. I rather like that. And of course, Gurdjieff was a long time gone when I got involved. Yeah. But I did, did, I did spend 11 years. And by the time I left after 11 years, it got a little stale for me. I got involved with the teacher, and he introduced me to Rashnish, who I thought was very, very, very interesting. 
He was very pro-women, Tantra. I loved the way he wrote. I loved the way he thought. I loved everything about him. I, I always became a sannyasa. I did go up to Oregon. I didn't go to India because by the time I got involved with Rajneesh, he had taken a vow of silence already. People were like fainting. And it was, it was that, that's a cult. That's yeah. really a cult. We'll talk about but that in a moment. So, Sandra, you were wearing all orange at one time. Wearing orange. Oh, my. Was. I was wearing orange and I had, was ready to take the vows and give up yeah. everything just to be with Rajneesh. Changed my mind at the last minute not to do it. And had taken a lot of classes up in Oregon. Love the classes. They were on Tantra. They were on all kinds of fabulous subjects that would be of interest to me. And I was very serious about it. But at the last minute, I kind of felt something flaky about the idea of having all the Rolls Royces, the, the guns and fuel. And it was like a very radical movement. And I kind of got frightened about it and didn't pursue it any further. But that was a very interesting period. I still have 150 books ever written by Rajneesh and all the magazines and all the good. I, I keep everything, keep all my books, and drive Scott crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, for those that don't know, you know, there was lots of controversy uh, back in, what was it, the 80s, 70s, I believe, when, you know, yes. the controversy with Osho Rajneesh uh, about the allegations that he used sex to keep his cult loyal with him. I'm sure both of you are quite familiar with that. Uh, nothing like that happened to you, though, Sandra. No one took advantage of you in uh, in any sort of well, uh, state, correct? They tried to. They tried, they to. tried to, though. They went up to, they tried. I mean, they, they were very, mostly Europeans were looking to get married, so they wanted an American um, uh, uh, citizenship. Want, yeah, mm-hmm. You know, they believed in, they had like a very open, open philosophy, which I was attracted to. I thought, I thought their Tantra um, ideas were very progressive and I really enjoyed them. I thought women deserved their time in the sun. I thought men were running the world, unfortunately. My idea was that uh, it's time to make a change. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the aging white men, their time has passed. And I was hoping maybe we'd see more feminists movement, but, um, you know, really, really, it just enriched my life. And now, so many thousands and thousands of books later, life has been very full for me. We've had the best time of our life. We really had miracle after miracle. We're looking forward. Now, even with the virus here and all that, yeah. Scott and I still continue to have adventure after adventure in spite of it all. We're writing for some magazines now about things to do and you can't go indoors, you know, outdoor things, and we're getting a very nice response. Very nice. Very nice. And uh, Sandra, before we toss it back over to Scott, I must ask you, how on earth did you two meet? And when you did meet Scott, was it love at first sight? No, it wasn't love at first sight. I was like... You were um, disgusted with Scott. No, I I thought Scott was a Mormon little... Little vanilla boy. Oh, you thought he was, yeah, you thought he was like a beta male because he's like a Mormon. You thought he was like weak. I was interested in men that that run the world. Yeah, yeah, you were into like more alpha men, not, you know, like a Mormon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew people that were so famous. I had everybody in the world after me. Look at you. Everyone wanted you. Everyone wanted a piece of Sandra, ladies and gentlemen. A piece of me. And I was, I thought I was like hot stuff. Nice. I really was. I really wasn't until later. 
took a long, 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 long time because you women, women, and it's so silly. Love they that. think they look the part, that they are the part, they're not. It takes a lot of education, a lot of background. But Scott was patient. He hung in there for many, many years. Finally, he wore me down. Finally, he wore you down. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, he found a way to enter. And now, of course, he's this brilliant, fabulous guy that is uh, a heavyweight in every area. His writing is superb, fantastic. He's very well received, very entertaining. We have the greatest time ever. Great companion, great fun. It's been a good choice for both of us. So that's what I can say about Scott. Very nice. Waiting. Awesome. Love that. Thanks for sharing that with us, Sandra. Are you a little jealous? (laughs) Very nice. And I believe Scott now is back online with us here. I am. My goodness, Scott. I'm now embarrassed that you heard me say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, I... From the time I, you know, I, I've had a career in which I've interviewed everybody from Bill Gates to uh, Stan Lee, you know, right, all right. the famous people in the world. And I can truly say that Sandra has had the most interesting life of anybody I've ever met. So, um, but she won't let me write it up. She's afraid she'll embarrass her family. So, uh, but I mean, just to give you one little funny example. Go for it. Yeah. Um, one day she's driving out in her clunky car to Malibu and she pulls into the gas station and the guy, this was back in the day when they, they came out and did the gas for you. And the guy comes out and he puts the gas hose in and he looks in the back seat and the guys in the back seat were Henry Miller and Joe DiMaggio. Mm. You know, that's kind of a typical Sandra story. Now that's why I mean, she she was best friends with everybody from Marlon Brando to Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, yes, she's had the most remarkable life of anybody I've ever known. So, um, you know, we have complementary skills, and uh, she is kind of the the pagan witch, and I'm the Christian mystic, and uh, she brings. She brings a certain, she attracts, when we go on these adventures around the world, she attracts all kinds of strange synchronicities. And my job is to kind of do the homework that lays the groundwork for that. So we always go to these destinations like India or Turkey or whatever with what we think is going to happen. And then the gods show us otherwise because what what we think is the thing we want to do turns out to be the least important thing. And there's always some mind-boggling thing, like she mentioned the symphony. She was absolutely certain she was going to hate the symphony. Um, but we've had we have these synchronicities. It seems like the gods, as you as we call the powers that be, want us to encourage people to get outside their little bubble, learn about the history of the world and other cultures, and um, and part of our message to them is that, um, you know, let, quit wasting your time uh, on Twitter and all your time shopping and eating and watching sports and all this other stuff. Um, you know, go experience the real world. And we have specialized in traveling to um, uh, Muslim countries, for example, and coming back with a report that you're much safer traveling to a Muslim country than 
staying here in Los Angeles, for example. Oh, wow. You know, Americans are completely isolated from global reality in every way. Well, I don't disagree with you on that one, and we have so much more to discuss here, but, you know, I can't let this one go now that, you know, we're talking to you and Sandra's there. I have to ask you, Scott, when you first laid eyes on Sandra, did you think she was the one? No, both of us thought we were completely incompatible. Um, the reason we met was because of all the stress in her childhood and genetics had caused her to have dental problems. And so she called up, I was a 23-year-old kid at the time, she called up um, a, a store I was managing. I was, by, by truly a series of miracles, I'd never worked in retail before and I was asked to manage two large natural food stores as they were known in the 70s and uh, and at the same time I was asked to start the predecessor of vegetarian time so that's kind of how I entered the alternative medical world if you will and she came in to get some advice on how to help her dental health so that was the basis of our meeting and we were we had totally different background. She had this glamorous actress model life before me, uh, kind of a, a secular Jew who was searching spiritual stuff. And, you know, I was still a very devout Mormon, and we could not be more different, and neither of us had any idea that we would ever get together. And then strange things started. 91. Yeah, 91. The planets aligned. A mystical experience that was ongoing, and I just happened to be there at the time. And it's a whole story unto itself. And I actually wrote a, a thing called My Adventure, Adventures in Journalism for LinkedIn, my LinkedIn blog, all about my crazy life and how she became involved in that and how how we kind of started off our adventures but if you had asked both of us up until Went to Ireland. Uh, yeah i mean yeah the first trip we ever took together was to cover the war in ireland because uh, that oh, was that was my last trip there i had had a long career covering the war and uh, she knew nothing about irish stuff and that was our first adventurous trip together in 1993, and that was kind of the beginning of our relationship. Understood. And what do you make of those individuals out there who say, you know, they want to connect with God, so they start taking psychedelics as a shortcut? What do you make of those folks, Scott and Sandra? Well, <laughs> uh, I'm going to let Sandra answer that first because she's got the best answer. Here we go with Sandra. Yeah. Coming up, folks, here we go. That's I decided early on I wanted to take psychedelics because I really felt that uh, it could be the answer to my unhappiness. Right. And finally, I ended up taking them. And finally, I took them even with Timothy Leary himself and Richard Alper. I'm so jealous, by the way, Sandra. What? I said, I'm so jealous of you. I know you should be. I am. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Yeah, I took, yeah, well, what happened is uh, somebody had given me, I don't know if you know what Santos is. Santos is the highest grade of LSD there is. And I was experimenting with great grades and trying to find my way. And I came home, and this trip I had taken hadn't taken off until I got home. And when I got home, I went into this full-blown trip 
that was so powerful that I decided to say yes to everything. And the phone rang the very next day, and I said yes before I even answered the phone. It was an invitation to go to a party at Beverly Hills, the Polo Lounge, and there I met an attorney that invited me to to Berkeley to meet Timothy Leary. And that's how I got to meet him. He said, I want you to meet him. Do you want to come tomorrow? My wife and I are flying. She's going off. I want to introduce you at Berkeley. I said, okay. I was saying yes to everything. That's how I met him. I spent a whole week with him in San Francisco. This was like, I guess, 1969. Wow. Something like And this was at the peak of his career when he was absolutely the king of the world, tune up, tune up, whatever it was. Turn on, tune in, and tune out. Yeah, that was it. And he was the king of all the young rebellious people, and I was, for that week anyway, the queen, because I was with him. So um, that's the kind of experience I had. And then I became disillusioned after a while. I thought that, you know, psychedelics are great, but there's nothing like finding your own answers. I think that drugs are a shortcut that lead to nowhere you've got to really, really put your head into your own research. I think it's a waste of time to try to do anything but your own thing. But there was a time when I took a great many trips. I never got burnt out, thank heavens for that. And I never really became a druggie. I don't have a, a drug um, uh, gene in my body. Yeah, no impulses, yeah, nothing like that. No, didn't become anything, no, no problem whatsoever, but... On my own, I decided not to do it anymore, and I haven't spent everything in a long, 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 long time because I feel that it's not the way to go. But at one time, I did feel it had answers, and I did have an introduction. So you get a quick start, you get an insight, and then it leaves. It's not permanent. I wanted permanency. I wanted to be able to call it my own, and that was why I stopped. But it is a great introduction, and I had great stuff, and great Santos, you know, great experiences and a lot of fun and it was kind of really a great trip. Right. I remember very fondly, I remember saying John Kelly, who was uh, the the head of Sony Pictures, was my boyfriend at the time when I had just kind of gotten to California and he said, listen, because I was a poor he said, I will pay for your I think you need to do all this work. I went to this therapist, and the therapist fell in love with me. <laughs> and wow. he said, how could I do it? But I said, I want to start taking. He said, don't take it. If you start anything, don't come back to me. I said, okay, I won't. And anyway, I never went back to the doctor for other reasons. But um, this was the kind of life I had, which was everybody was offering me all kinds of con- contracts, all kinds of goodies. I said, no, I don't want to become a trophy wife. I'm not going to marry anybody to be a trophy wife. I'm not going to. I'm not going to go into contract to big studios. I don't. I don't want to be beholden to anybody. I wanted to do it my way, and I to this day I think in a way I regret some of the things I passed up on, but not really because I never would have been my own person if I had taken anybody up on their offers. So I had great opportunities. Everybody wanted to do this and that, whatever. I remember going out with um, Marlon Brando and telling me, I purposely had seen him in the movie when I was like 10 years old. I was like, I want to go out with him one day. Sure enough, I found you him. You actually did. I did. I wow. found him. Gold Medal Studios. Uh, he was doing The Fugitive Kind with Anna Magnani. And I arranged to have somebody take me up to the Gold Medal Studios, uh, another another 
idea what was going on. And he was there, of course, he saw me, he liked me very much. That's how I met him, took me to dinner. I was very young at the time, like maybe under 18, kind of young for him. Oh my God. Yeah, and he said, you know, he said, you're the most beautiful young girl I've ever seen, but you don't think enough of yourself. I said, I do so. I was so insulted. I do so. (laughs) Yes. No, you don't. He was right and I was wrong. He said, I'm not the world's most famous actor for nothing. I know you're in the nature, and I'm telling you. So that was, you know, people were telling me, and people worked with me and helped me, but I had a lot of experience with meeting everybody you can possibly meet and getting a good uh, feeling for yeah. everybody to what to know and how they thought. And you were really at the right place at the right time, by the way, Sandra. I was at the right time, the right place, and fortunately, I felt that, Life has never been better than it is right now. On one level, I never felt more integrated than I do right this minute. But after all those years, being integrated now, after all those years, the one thing I was looking for was self-acceptance in such a, in such a degree that I felt complete and whole. Did you not love yourself, by the way, Sandra, when you were younger? You felt like you had like a hole inside of you that was just not fulfilled. It wasn't, and it's still not 100%, but much, much, much more so than ever before. Now I don't really have need, I don't need the validation as much, very little validation anymore, very little opinion. You know, I've gotten kind of, not arrogant about it, but a little bit, um, you know, it's very hard to learn from people when you've done a lot of homework on your own. and. That's one of the reasons I enjoy Scott so much, is he's constantly learning and doing things. Very nice. Yes. So I would say on the drug issue, um, Sandra and I did a lot of magic mushroom in our time, and um, I think it's very legitimate stuff. Uh, anybody who thinks that the the organic drugs, if you will, are uh, just hallucination should read Graham Hancock's Supernatural. He makes a very good argument as to why the shamans use them as an entry to another world. And the, the one thing that um, he hasn't done that I have is ayahuasca. And Hancock has a discussion about the place in South American shamanism. And I would say truly the most powerful visionary experience I've ever had was with ayahuasca. It can be life transforming, but I got into trouble with other drugs later so uh i'm sober now sandra never had that problem um but but um the what we both concluded was we needed to do more consciousness work Uh, we're both big on meditation and uh, what were you um by the way scott what were you addicted what were you addicted to scott if you don't mind me uh, cocaine Uh, that became uh, and for that matter alcohol because i'd grown up mormon i knew nobody that had ever tasted alcohol. Oh, so I, see. I had no idea that I had the that genetic, you know, 10% of the population has that addiction gene. Sandra doesn't have that. But uh, we've all, both been through very extensive psychotherapy. We think that's very important. I had uh, eight years of uh, union dream analysis, for example. And he went deep then, that. Scott. Yeah. What? I said you went very deep there. Trying to, yeah, very, yeah. And, and we're both big fans of Harville Hendricks, Getting the Love You Want. Um, 
he's Oprah's favorite relationship counselor. And um, yeah, uh, Sandra, what's the name of the, the biology of belief? The biology of belief by Bruce Lipton. Uh, those are two very, very important uh, books because they help you understand why your little conscious mind is not in charge of things and how you get programmed at an early age. So all these things, all these self-development programs, um, Sandra knew Werner Earhart, the founder of EST, and we took the Landmark Mark Forum, which was the a successor of that. We went through, yeah, we went through Tony Robbins' Firewalk, and I've interviewed Tony Robbins. So we went up to Esalen Institute. We did a lot of yeah. self-development programs. It all helps, and there's, you know, the best is yet to come as far as we're concerned. Very nice. Well, Scott, it- what we found, yeah, what we found is once you start doing these things, more synchronicities and miracles come to you. Very nice. Yes, I'll. I'll, I'll bring up something in terms of synchronicity, but before I do, I was just going to humor both you and Sandra and say it's a good thing you guys did not find uh, Heaven's Gate. <laughs> like, you know, you guys weren't that Heaven's interested Gate. in Heaven's Gate, you know. UFO cult down in San Diego. Right. right. Yep. Yep. Every uh, Yeah. By the way, I did want to talk to you about UFOs before I forget, just for a few minutes here. It seems like... Sure. Um, you know, it's, it, it comes in waves. It comes in cycles. Sometimes it's very popular for a couple of years and then it dies out. Then it comes back. And we have seen a resurgence the last few years. The UFOs, it's a pretty hot topic now, Scott. So I'm sure you have plenty to say in terms of UFOs. Yeah. Let me just kind of give you the, the quickie summary of it. Um, I don't think. UFOs are, generally speaking, aliens um, for a number of reasons. Uh, I give three examples in the book of very hardcore cases that you could say are ET cases. And, you know, maybe there are uh, extraterrestrials, but the phenomenon is much more complicated than that. And... um, on my Facebook page for God Reconsidered, I have an analysis of the abduction phenomenon, which I think is the central mystery. Um, once I discovered this Gnostic path, I began to understand that uh, we are not created and put into our bodies by a benign God. Uh, there, if, if you start looking at the premise of mainstream religion, uh, it doesn't make any sense. East or West, reincarnation simply would be repeating the original mistake. Uh, it's hard to see because we're immersed in our religious cultures, but once you get look at start looking at the abduction phenomenon, it looks like there are some kind of entities, call them extraterrestrials, call them spirits that are manipulating us, and this, you know, this explains things like Scott Rogo, the great parapsychologist, has a book called Miracles, where he shows there is a tremendous amount of really objective evidence for atheists. And like I mentioned, Fatima and the vision of the Virgin Mary, there were many, many atheists um, seeing that and testifying to it. So the so-called supernatural phenomenon appear to be religious, if you believe in them at all. But actually, in a lot of cases, like uh, Fatima, there's a little silver disc hovering nearby. 
And so there seems to be an effort to manipulate humankind in certain ways. So that's what I get into in uh, the, the book is aimed at the kind of the hardcore evidence about UFOs per se. And clearly there are, if you want to call them flying saucers, fine. Uh, the skeptics are so close-minded they can't, they just can't stand to admit they're real. And, you know, J. Allen Hynek, who was the, um, the military's chief debunker, eventually gave up and said, you know something, I'm trying to explain away things that actually are real. He's the guy who invented the explanation of swamp gas for people seeing lights in the distance and stuff. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I've talked to so many people that have had UFO encounters uh, that were very, very credible. And um, we've, Sandra and I have interviewed surgeons that have removed strange little uh, items from oh, implants, funny. from uh, abductees and stuff. We, we have just a zillion things that we could talk to about that. But it's a real phenomenon. It's worth serious discussion and unfortunately the serious scientific types think it's silly and they don't really understand why it should be taken seriously yes and for those that are curious and want to read more about the book that is godreconsidered.com i believe you do talk about that in your book and uh, amongst many other things it's a good book by the way for those that are curious again i'm not just saying that because you're here but it's it's a fact it's a good book Thank you. Very well written, by the way. Very entertaining. I was not bored while reading <laughs> any of it. <laughs> Good to hear. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, by the you're way... Objective. You're much more objective than most readers, needless to say. Well, that's the thing. I tried to sort of remove myself from any of that. And I got I to gotta throw this on the table for, for you, Scott. How would you like to have a discussion with Michael Shermer? Well, I corresponded with him in the pages of Fate magazine, and um, there's an interesting story about him in Dean Radin's new book called Real Magic, which I highly recommend, where he talks about how Shermer was spooked by some strange coincidences or synchronicities. I recall. Um, yeah. Shermer's a waste of time. You think it's a waste of time? Well, there, here, here's the point. No, I mean, listen... All you got to do is read Michael Crichton's book, and incidentally, he was a friend of Sanders. Michael Crichton has a book called Travels, which is about his travels around the world, and it changed his mind. You know, he was a Harvard Business Medical School graduate, and when he came back, uh, people wanted to hear from him, you know, Andromeda strain and what he learned and everything, and he said, sure, I'll come and talk to the Skeptic Society. And then they got wind of what he was going to say, and they stopped him from coming. So he took the speech he was going to give and he put it in the back of Travels as an appendix. And when you read that, you understand, and, and my book is partly a response to Shermer too, you read just how close-minded they are. I have a whole story in here about their hostility towards Dean Radin's book on ESP, um, uh, the unconscious universe. No, Shermer's a total waste of time. He's He seems very reasonable, but uh, at the end of the day, he cannot look at things objectively. He's too so close-minded. I'm skeptics anymore. So he's too close-minded, in other words. Yeah, yeah. All, all the skeptics are. They pretend 
that they're scientific and objective. But, um, you know, I had enough experience with them. Uh, if you read either of Dean Radin's books, The Real Magic, for example, he gives further examples of this. Uh, Dean Radin's a real scientist, and that what they what he went through with the censorship by Nature, the British publication, when it came to a review about his book and all kinds of stuff. I tell some of this in God Reconsidered, but um, it's a complete. It, they're almost as reasonable to try to talk to as an evangelical. Uh, they they just have a different religion, which is there's absolutely nothing supernatural that we don't already know, you know, uh, like I say, all you got to do is take the evidence for ESP. It is overwhelming, and they can't admit that there might be something natural like reading minds. The Soviets had no problem with it, but they get it all mixed up, atheism and religion, with things that are unfamiliar to us, you know. But it's kind of funny because... Nothing is stranger than quantum physics. You probably heard about the new particle they're looking at that completely upends all the prior assumptions about. Absolutely, physics. but I barely yeah, under, I, I barely understand I, any of that. But yes, I, I have been uh, reading yeah. along. It's it's quantum mechanics. It's it's pretty. It's a mind. You know what? Yeah, I've had plenty of encounters with the skeptics on social media and stuff like that. And they are no more open-minded than evangelicals. They have high IQs. They've got a lot of information, but it's a little bit like integrative medicine, which is kind of our specialty in the mundane world. Um, we know that the integrative medical things work because we've had a lot of experience with clinics. I ran a holistic medical clinic. She took her mother to the best cancer clinic in the world. But if you talk to the average doctor, 90% of them, uh, are totally misinformed about all of this. And uh, so, they, you know, what it is is the scientific establishment is 40 years behind the pioneering evidence. There was a whole book on this by Thomas Kuhn, a classic called The Structure of Scientific uh, Revolutions. And basically he says the scientific gatekeepers are teaching what they learned 40 or 50 years earlier and you have to wait for them to die off about two generations before the pioneering evidence can be published in academic journals and taught at universities. So it's, it applies to archaeology, to alternative medicine, almost every field that I've had anything to do with. The gatekeepers of scientific conventional wisdom are just clueless. Understood. Understood. And I'm just curious, by the way, Scott, do you think you could take Michael Shermer in like a fight? Well, I, I would have, uh, it would be very easy for me to go through anything, UFOs, uh, uh, ESP. No, I meant, I meant, I meant Scott, I meant like in the, in the physical sense. Like, do you think you could phys physically, like, beat him up? Well, uh, the, uh, I He rides a bike a lot, by the but, way. Um, He's got some I, decent I cardio. Would, uh, I, I, I think that, uh, He's a waste of time to spend any time on physically or mentally. I actually had challenged him one time. Oh, my. I said, um, why don't we do a fundraiser? We'll bring our psychics and have them read the futures of your members uh, for a Halloween joke fundraiser for the Skeptic Society. He didn't seem to find that too amusing. And um, 
but the, the fundamental problem is that um, he thinks of himself as objective and open-minded and stuff like that. But I've read his reviews. I've read his magazine very extensively. And he buys into all the phony lies that I document in my book about UFOs and near-death experiences, stuff like that. I also uh, torture him, by the way, for those that don't know. It's, it's a love-hate relationship between me and Mr. Shermer. Uh, we, we go back and forth all the time. So, you know, these questions I'm throwing at you about fighting him, you know, he's, he's going to hear it and he's going to laugh. Yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, I have read also, you know, the, uh, the, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and their publication in Skeptical Inquiry. They're, they're both mirror images. I published a story in Fate about how they were rivals, and he wrote in a letter protesting saying not true, but I had actually talked off the record, supposedly, they didn't know who I was as a writer with uh, the people at the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, and they were really infuriated with him. They felt he stole their members. Uh, anyway, he tried to deny it, but I know otherwise. So, um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I learned that, um, you know what, the problem with the skeptics is they don't do their own research. They have their own so-called experts, it's kind of like the Catholic Church says, don't read these books. You know, the, the Pope says they're, they're evil, and the skeptics have their so-called experts, and they'll say, don't read any book about ESP because uh, a physics professor at Berkeley says it's absolutely superstition. And so they all rely on that, and that's why they take at face value, they're so-called UFO experts when I've shown they lie, you know, but none of them actually go and double check their own experts. So it's just the atheist version of the Catholic Church. Understood. And by the way, Scott, I got a private message here wanting me to ask you this question. Um, currently, right now, are you still a Mormon? No, 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 no. Uh, in 1989, when I had my first mystical experience, I realized that as I believe the Mormon Church has the most truth of any Christian, of any kind of mainstream Christian religion. I am a member of Ecclesia Gnostica, uh, which is a Gnostic Christian church in Los Angeles and elsewhere. And uh, the book, the last chapters of my book on, are on why I embrace Christian Gnosticism as the best exclamation for the human predicament, why they're suffering, why there's evil in the world. And the fundamental thing I discovered is that the high God is not very powerful. He's not all powerful in this dimension. And there are very powerful entities that don't wish us will. So, no, I have a great deal of respect for Mormonism in a sophisticated theology, but it's fundamentally based on belief that Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, uh, is the God of this world. And um, there's this book by Richard Smalley, How God Became God, shows how Jehovah started as the tribal God of Israel, and eventually the whole concept made him into the God of the universe, but there's no evidence to support that actually in the Bible. And uh, so, yeah, no, I, I think any religion that believes in Allah, 
uh, Jehovah, uh, Jesus as the God, the conventional kind of stuff. It's all based on false premises, and they all have the same foundation that God created the world. It's very good. We just don't understand why we suffer. When we die, we'll find out a little bit more. It's all for the good, and uh, if we have troubles, it's either our fault, our karma, uh, we don't get the big picture, you know, a bunch of other nonsense. And the purpose of my book is to show why all conventional religions, East and West, tell this big lie about why we're here. Amazing. And uh, by the way, going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of synchronicities, I would feel remiss if I forgot to ask you this question. And, uh, you know, we are sort of backtracking a little bit here and there, but that's okay. We enjoy that. We appreciate that sort of thing. Our listeners have ADD, so, you know, it tends to be, uh, it, it tends to work in our favor, by the way, Scott. <laughs> but yes, Scott, yes. <laughs> One of the questions I did have for you, and I completely forgot, um, I'm curious what your opinion uh, is exactly on, you know, like these flashes of light, channeling voices, you know, impossible synchronicities. Are, are we witnessing and experiencing something scientifically explainable, but not yet understood? Um, like, uh, let's see, would you say this is like a psych psychiatric delusion per se, or is this legit? Well, I would say in general, there is a lot of evidence as Sandra and I, you know, we went around testing all these psychics and stuff like that. And we found most of them are not talented and some of them are real. The, the fundamental argument I have uh, say in this book is there is plenty of evidence for other dimensions and what we think of as the supernatural, but it's actually natural. We just don't understand it any more than we do the quantum universe. So the first step to understanding the truth is to broaden our horizons. And um, there, as I argue in a blog on my Facebook page for God Reconsidered, right. and in a chapter in the book, there is truly expanding massive evidence in every single culture around the world through the ages that when we die, we have a spirit that survives. And what happens after that in the immediate aftermath of death or near-death experience is culturally conditioned. But survival is simply a fact, and, there, and I marshal all the evidence for that, and it's expanding, there are more books on the subject. So we need to open our minds to the idea that we could even be atheists and say there is no great God, but there, is, there are other dimensions. And those of us who have been there or had these experiences, you can generate more breakthroughs by working at this stuff. I mean, there's no question Sandra and I meditate and we do visualization and even uh, therapy helps lift your mind out of its subconscious programming. And uh, if you go to any of these self-development things like the Landmark Forum or Esalen Institute or everything, you can begin to have more and more strange things happen. I mean, Sandra and I have bizarre stuff happen all the time. So the more you kind of 
deal with this world, the more things happen. And we just are mind boggled at these strange things that happen to us. Do you have a moment for me to give an example? Of course. Go ahead, Scott. Well, and some years ago, about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, I was um, going through downtown Los Angeles. I'd gone to drop off some food to the poor in downtown Los Angeles, and I was coming back in my little Toyota Corolla. And as I was going through the intersection, a um, SUV smashed into me and totaled my car. And I was not quite unconscious, but I had no idea what had happened. And when I kind of came to, somebody came over to me and said, I know you don't know what happened. I will tell you, call me tomorrow, and he handed me his card. And um, so I was able to talk to the driver of the other car. We exchanged our information, and I was had the car towed. And the next morning, I was in a great deal of pain. And I, this guy called me, and he said, listen, I witnessed the accident. The other driver is going to claim that you smashed into him, that you ran a red light. And he says, I will tell you, I was standing on the corner looking at the point of collision when it happened, and I will be your witness for your insurance company uh, because I know the guy's going to lie and you don't really remember what happened. And the other guy had his girlfriend in the car, okay? So here's the remarkable thing about it. He happened to be a pastor, and the insurance company told me they never had a more compelling witness to a case. And that was, so it became not my word against his, but the pastor's eyewitness report. Amazing. He had standing on the corner staring at the point of impact I would have probably lost my license and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And that's just one of many, many miracles that have happened in my life. Santa and I actually have a long, long list of miracles written on sheets of paper to remind us. We have so many of them. It's easy to forget. And one of the peculiar things is every time we go on a trip, as I mentioned before, we come back with astonishing stories about what happens. And it seems like part of our mission in life is to encourage people to get out there and be adventurous, uh, as opposed to, for example, at 9-11, people said, um, you know, I was going to go to Paris, but I guess I'll just go to Paris Las Vegas Hotel. And it's like Americans are so totally isolated from the real world and the global world and stuff, they don't know what we're missing. So we've got this weird mission in life with all with all the miracles that happened to to us, I mean, we went down thinking that the other day we went to Palm Springs. We've been to some pretty spectacular zoos like the San Diego Zoo, which you're familiar with, right. which is probably the in the world. And we went to this tiny little zoo in Palm Springs that specializes in in uh, desert animals. And we thought, you know, something. This is going to be nothing. We really don't want to go there, but we have to cover it. And it was the first thing that we went to, and by a weird coincidence, we were invited to feed the giraffes. And you hold up this tiny little leaf of lettuce, and you're standing there, and this 
when giraffes put their head down towards you, they look like alien monsters. They're, they're 18 feet tall, and they have a tongue that's about 18 feet long. And I, I took a picture of it, 18 inches long, yeah. I, and I have this picture of Sandra looking like this tiny pixie compared to with this giant thing coming down with his tongue coming down <laughs> and she has this tiny little piece of lettuce that it takes out of her hand. Like and a giant, one of those you're feeding a giant weird, Gene Simmons right there. Yeah. It, it, and we've had so many other weird experiences. You know, I, I came face to face with a leopard in South Africa. We always have these weird peak experiences. You guys have some fun adventures, that's for sure. Oh, my Lord. Every Everywhere we go, stuff like that happens and we we didn't plan this but it started right with our trip to northern ireland in 1993 and we had miracles happen then and every single trip we've gone to ever since then has had a miracle so part of our thing is we have a mission to encourage people to travel and have these adventures very nice and i i I hate to be a debbie downer here but i'm going to bring the energy down for a moment here um this is this was another email I got, and I'm pretty sure this was from an atheist, uh, Scott. Are you ready for this one? This was a private message here. It says, we see time and time again that the biggest tragedies are committed on this island. They've all been mostly contributed by a theist. Every mass shooting has always been committed by someone who believes in a god. When was the last time an atheist or even a Satanist committed a mass shooting? That's it. Well, I'll, I'll, Go respond ahead. By, I'll respond by saying that if you think the Nazis were really religious, you don't know much about them. I lived in Germany, uh, and Hitler, you could hold him accountable for 80 million people who died in World War II. But how about Stalin and Mao Zedong? Stalin holds the record for uh, the second greatest record for killing 20 million of his own people. That's true. Mao Zedong, the estimate is 40 to 70 million. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I was always amused when I read some of these atheist things. They'll, they'll try to say, oh, well, communism was like a religion. Yes, a religion for atheists. So atheists like to think what the way they define an atheist is somebody who doesn't do anything bad you know right yes i i agree religions have been responsible for all kinds of terrible wars sure sure but uh unfortunately uh militant atheism and skepticism uh they are not committing the mass shootings but uh if you go back to the french revolution and the several million people that uh, were killed by as the result of that, that was a very, very secular revolution. And um, the uh, Lenin and others based a lot of their ideas learning from the French Revolution. So I have a whole chapter, incidentally, on that very subject. But yeah, I don't let religion off the hook, and I just happen to think that militant atheism is also a religion. Some would say that, yes, but of course the other atheists out there in the community, would not, they would disagree with you, but I, I'm not a part of any of those camps, by the way. I, I'm, it's not that um, big of a deal for me. You know, I'm not going to die on that hill. <laughs> well, you're an open-minded guy and a truth seeker, so yeah, yeah I don't have part. any... 
Yeah, I don't have any problem with somebody who doesn't believe in God. I, I give my reasons in the book yes, you do. for my own theology, but um, and I think all all religions I know, uh, you know, including Hinduism and Buddhism, are guilty of mass slaughter, and uh, you know the, this notion that a lot of Americans have that you know these are all benign religions in the East and stuff like that is absolutely. Wrong. I, I have no sympathy for religions in terms of their track record, and I've, quite frankly, I think if you read the New Testament, you would be hard-pressed to match it to evangelical Christianity. Uh, you know, abortion is not mentioned uh, in the New Testament, neither is gay marriage. Right. Uh, you know, all their obsessions with firearms and sports and the military and stuff like that— Jesus would not recognize evangelical Christianity, and my argument in God Reconsidered is that none of their doctrines, the Trinity, the atonement as they explain it, faith uh, in Jesus as the salvation and stuff like that, none of this stuff is really in there, and they all studiously ignore his central social message, which is compassion for the outcast and the downtrodden and the poor. Yeah, that seems like um, non-existent in America right now, Scott. No one is following those words at all. And uh, furthermore, I, I must ask you, Scott, and for those that haven't read the book, I know your answer already, but why exactly do you believe in God? Well, mystical experience aside, and Sandra, and, you know, I knew her ritual magic teacher and he really was the real thing um and you know all my tests of Uri Geller and James Van Prague and all these other psychics that James Randi and Michael Shermer and others will tell you aren't real I had a Sandra and I had an assignment to test them so um I we know from the few very uh, psychics that we know and have tested um, that there's a supernatural world. Um, I explain in the book um, the mystery of incarnation. Why do we incarnate at all, okay? Um, no religion gives a good answer for that. So what I would say is I don't expect people to take my mystical experience uh, on faith. I simply say, don't worry about what I discovered. Why don't you take the first step and determine if there is a so-called supernatural or paranormal dimension. If you can open up your mind that the world is much stranger, the universe is much stranger than any materialist will agree on, then you will begin to open to the idea that there may be entities with which the, the atheists and skeptics certainly are not familiar. Right. You could say believer in the supernatural and not God. That's fine by me. I My religious tradition I've embraced because it involves people with direct knowledge of these things. And I've had the mystical experience to confirm them. But I actually don't try to talk people into believing in God. I think that's an irrelevant question. I'm trying to get them to first base, which is open up your mind that 
conventional religion, yes, doesn't have the answers and they're not good examples, but there is a middle path between militant, closed-minded skepticism about the supernatural and all the superstitions that pass for conventional religion. And Scott, great answer. By the way, I feel like um, a big part of our issues in society today would probably evaporate if you were like required to eat like an eighth of shrooms, perhaps. <laughs> like every month, yes. like every month you're supposed yes. to eat I, <laughs> like an eighth. I, I think Sandra and I would agree that, um, and that uh, you know, we even though neither of us are using drugs anymore, Certainly, magic mushrooms and LSD, and in my case, ayahuasca and stuff, did help us make that transition into understanding that there are things beyond our rational understanding. It helped you connect the and, dots, in other words, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, they, you might regard them as clutches, but some people can kind of get stuck at that level. But the psychedelics in particular, these are not like the regular addictive drugs, you know, these are way too powerful. And, um, you know, they, but again, Graham Hancock's Supernatural has some really interesting arguments about their role with shamanism. But, um, one last yeah. Jamaica. Oh, go ahead. And with human evolution, by the way, the magic mushroom theory. But go ahead, Sandra, if you are there with us. Yeah, I'm getting tired too, but I'll tell you one last story about Jamaica. Yeah, go for it. Scott? Scott and I would go to Jamaica on a way to Ireland because he had a dossier that was so big they wouldn't let him in regular way. We had to go we had to go to Jamaica. So we go to Jamaica and we wanted to take magic mushrooms we heard about that they grow wild in Jamaica. Right. We this wild, wild, wild car trip with the crazy cars going to Mrs. Brown's coffee shop in Jamaica. We get there, we say, we want mushrooms. They say, well, do you want the strong ones? Do you want the weak ones? Do <laughs> you want the strong ones? Do you want to take them here? No. We'll take them at the hotel. We're leaving the next day for L.A. We get back, this crazy long road. Yeah, so the bottom line is we went on this terrifying hour-long ride around curves that Sandra just got under the seat and hid she couldn't stand it, and um, but that's what it took to get to Mrs. Brown's. So we come back to the uh, the hotel, and we have this very, very powerful mushroom trip, and we start laughing. We thought, you know something? We're going to go out of our bodies and not come back, and what a hilarious thing. They're going to find two dead bodies in the room. We're not going to show up for the <laughs> airport. Yeah. We're not going to fly back, and they'll wonder what happened to us, you know. Well, eventually we did come back into our bodies, but uh, it, it, yeah, there, it was. You can have really, 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 truly incredible, and and this was a life-changing and relationship-changing experience in many ways for us. The most powerful mushroom experience that we ever had, and incidentally, mushrooms grow wild in Jamaica, and the cows eat them. Oh yeah, and. Uh, Serve them, they serve them in the restaurants, and you can actually take magic mushrooms and sit in the restaurant. Uh, it's legal to do it there for anybody that's interested. Well, Scott, I mean, it's not legal here, but that doesn't stop me. And I must say, how do you think I got through that pandemic? 
Well, um, that's an interesting remedy. Uh, maybe it boosted your immunity. I think it did. I, I think it boosted all sorts of things, Scott. But in terms, <laughs> right? In terms of the pandemic, though, in terms of COVID nineteen, I would feel remiss if we didn't talk about that. And you, both yeah. of your thoughts and opinions, and where you were at the time when you first heard of this uh, pandemic. I'm sure you were thinking, "What the hell's going on?" Well, actually, I am a specialist. I have a background in alternative medicine, and so does Sandra. Um, I'm very familiar with the history of pandemics, and uh, there are two books that if people want to understand it, they should read uh, Yuval Harari's Sapiens and Jared Diamond's uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel. So I, part of what I have in my book is kind of the history of epidemics is evidence that no benign god uh, created this world. And, uh, and because I have this background, I've worked for some famous doctors and stuff. Um, we have been following a, an immunity building, um, program for many, many years. Okay. I, I actually 18 different supplements based on the recommendations of a book by Phillips Falch on clinical evidence called prescriptions for Prescription for Nutritional Healing, which has sold 8 million copies. It's a $35 book, and it's a handbook for holistic medical clinics. I have not been sick, seriously sick, other than about a one-day cold once a year for 45 years. Wow. Uh, I follow a strict whole foods diet. I take 18 supplements a day, and many of these are immunity-boosting. And uh, the, the bottom line is... We, we had, Sandra can tell you about the clinic in Mexico where she took her mother, but we have worked with many integrative medical doctors, which is the fancy new term for doctors that, yes, they use drugs and surgery, but they also use acupuncture and herbs and nutrition, homeopathy. This is the kind of preventive medicine that is practiced in Germany, where I live, and Japan. Every other country in the world practices integrative preventive medicine and as a result we are number 30 in the world in our health outcomes even though we spend twice as much on average per capita uh, because we don't practice preventive medicine and uh, so we you know the bottom line is you can build up your immune system so that you can survive uh, my, my concern, I'm still working in this industry, and uh, I'm a nutrition consultant, my day job, uh, at, a, at a chain of stores, and um, I wasn't worried about COVID. I was worried about getting the flu and cold, and so we were practicing hand sanitizing uh, long ago, and I take the supplements and so the key is to build up your immune system, and but the problem is the average American eats a hundred pounds of sugar a year, and sugar has been scientifically proven way back in the 1940s to cause cancer. It has all kinds of negative impact on people, and and if we're wondering why we have a plague of diabetes and pre-diabetes, uh, it's largely because of that. So. I've worked with many integrative medical doctors. 
Sandra, why don't you tell them about the record of, of the hospital that you took your mother to in Mexico? So my mother was diagnosed with a tumor in her bladder. I said, Mom, believe me, it's a cancer tumor. It's not a tumor. They're going to take out your bladder, put you in a wheelchair with a bag with urine in your hand. Do you want to go get the operation or do you want to come to Mexico where Scott and I have a record mm. working with Dr. Dunfot? It's a clinic right over the border in Tijuana. Very successful uh, car park. Over in TJ, yeah. He says, I'm going to go with you. It's going to cost you $13,000. I'll spend two weeks with you. Scott took us over there, and they gave her every avant-garde treatment available in the world. And in three weeks, two or three weeks, I think he said three weeks, she did quite well with the treatment. On the way coming home, on the train, Scott was going to pick us up. She had to go to the hospital the next day, and they had to take out the dead cancer. The doctor couldn't believe it. They took out a dead cancer the size of a man's hand that was dead. They gave her BCG Jesus. for a cancer not to come back or just starting. The doctor said, as long as she has a, has a, every three months has a little BCG treatment, she will live. Doesn't have it, she won't make it. Well, for about two years, she kept with it, and she did very, very well until she stopped getting the BCG, of course, and the cancer came back. But while she was taking it, and while she did it, it was unbelievable. Doctors could not believe what they saw there with their own eyes, which was the cancer was removed, and she did not keep up. It takes a lot of energy to. Uh, keep a maintenance program going. She was like a sugar eater. She liked regular Jewish pastrami sandwiches and all that, junk eater. And of course, she couldn't, didn't want to take everything. You can't make somebody do it. But while she was doing it, she did very, very well. Now, yeah, the last thing I'd like to say on that is I was writing a book about it, this clinic, and uh, I interviewed many patients who had been, had fourth stage metastatic cancer it's a death sentence, and they were told they had two or three months to live. And when we were down there, they had been to this clinic 10 or 15 years before, and they were still in remission because it used 100 different clinically proven treatments from other countries. And um, we ended up not publishing the book because this doctor who lived in San Diego was so persecuted. Yeah. He said, just to give you an example, they spent, some federal agency spent two years going through his garbage trying to find insurance fraud. They couldn't prove it, but they were putting pressure on the Mexican government to close his clinic. He finally sold it to the Mexican doctors. He said, listen, if I come out with the book, they're really going to get come down on me because the medical establishment uh, – is not in favor of integrative medicine. Now, fortunately today in the U.S., this is some years later, this is in 2000, this is around the year 2000 or so when we were down there. But um, today there's a lot more open-minded um, stuff. I mean, almost every hospital now has an integrative medical unit. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming. But doctors get virtually no education. My brother, the internist, had one course one semester in nutrition, can't remember anything about it. Um, and unfortunately, 
the medical, the state medical boards and the gatekeepers of scientific wisdom follow Thomas Kuhn's story in the structures of scientific revolution. They're very hostile to anything that they don't think is orthodox, never mind what the evidence is. So um, every other country knows this, and uh, unfortunately, we're about 50 years behind. A little behind, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little behind. Anyway, we've been very fortunate to talk to cancer patients and others, people who, I, I talked to somebody a few months ago who had 10 different seemingly incurable autoimmune diseases. She went on a certain supplement, and within a couple of months, they all cleared up. So there is hope for everybody, and, um, you know, the unfortunately, the, the establishment will eventually come around to this stuff, and uh, you, you just have to be your own doctor, be your own guinea pig, and uh, just ignore the dogmas from the gatekeepers. Understood. So let me ask you this, Scott. Uh, you and Sandra both travel around everywhere. Now it seems like you're going to be required to have a vaccination and have proof that you were vaccinated of sorts. Uh, you know, if you yeah. want to travel around, gain entry to a specific building, that might be a requirement. Uh, Scott, will you be taking the vaccine? Uh, we've already been vaccinated. You're vaccinated. Yes, we believe in integrative medicine. In other words, I've, I've done a whole thing on the history of vaccines. Uh, Sandra had Moderna. I had Pfizer. We got both our shots. It's part of integrative medicine. Integrative means, yes, you recognize the value of chiropractic. Yes, you recognize the value of surgery. There's nobody better than American doctors if you're in a car accident. You know, they've got all the drugs, all the surgeons. They're just lousy at prevention. So, um you know, uh, the other people, they, when I was living in Germany, the German doctors could not understand. In 19, the early 1970s, they already had a verbal uh, physician's desk reference in Germany. Uh, the Indian medical schools that we went to teach Ayurvedic medicine. They're some of the best in the world with all the conventional stuff. So vaccines are just part of it. Uh, there's nothing that contradicts natural medicine. You have people on the left and the right that think that, you know, you can't do vaccines. But we carry around our vaccines with us, and we are off to travel in August. We're going to Hawaii for the first time in 25 years. And Hawaii, and I think it's Vermont and Alaska, have the best records of controlling COVID and the deaths of any of the states by far. They've been very strict, and until recently, you had to have a 14-day quarantine to go to Hawaii. But all you have to have now is uh, three days earlier a negative COVID test. So, yes, we've been vaccinated for a month or two, and uh, we encourage everybody to do it. And now uh, it is not according to the crazy rumors, especially on the left uh, or the right. They're, they're not injecting a little chip into your skin that is going to be activated by 5G so that the <laughs> banker, right. international banking conspiracy can control you and, you know, all the other crazy stuff. Yes. I, well, I didn't expect, um, I didn't expect anyone to actually believe that sort of thing, but there are people that do believe that there's some sort of chip being inserted in you when you take the vaccine. I, I don't believe that. I don't subscribe to that nonsense at all, but. Well, okay. Where, where that started, the rumor started because in Africa, they needed to 
figure out whether people have been vaccinated or not and, you know, language barriers and so forth. So they, they put a little plain old tiny little chip in to indicate who had been vaccinated. It's not something that is activated by 5G. This is another one of these QAnon things, you know. Uh, people are, uh, otherwise intelligent people are totally gullible, and I mean on the right and on the left. You know, all the people who think Obama was born in Africa, that 9-11 was a Pentagon scheme. Uh, we have a very good friend of ours who believes there was no uh, moon landing. Um, we happen to know Buzz Aldrin, so we know otherwise. But the number of people on the far left and the far right who fall for these uh, rumor-mongering, unscientific, crazy conspiracy theories, they're incurable. And it's about 10% of the population on either okay. side. And, and so the bottom line is because people have become less discriminating online about what they believe and because of the manipulation, especially by the Russians, of American gullibility, uh, and because of the attention span of Americans who don't read anything. There's uh, that ADD again, uh, Scott. Yeah, they, well, yeah, and, and they, somebody once said Americans are a literate. They could read if they wanted to. They don't want their to. Atten- yeah, their attention spans about 280 characters, you know. So they have no ability to understand critical thinking and uh, how to separate truth from fact. But their, their willingness to fall into the National Enquirer standard for the truth it is just another example of the deterioration of American culture. So, yeah, you can't do much with them. We've tried. Uh, I don't bother arguing with my question, my friends who subscribe to these conspiracy theories because Boy, there are hey. underlying yeah. reasons why they want to believe these things. So you definitely don't entertain any of your friends with their conspiracy theories, in other words. You don't even listen to the madness, in other words. Well, I tried on a couple of occasions, uh, and you find out that, you know, if you ask somebody, um, what is your evidence that Obama was born in Africa? You know, they'll give you 20 reasons why they don't believe that the um, the Secretary of State in Hawaii had the real birth certificate. You, you can never get anywhere. When somebody is thoroughly brainwashed and committed, uh, I have a very good friend on the left, who says there's massive evidence that the Pentagon destroyed the 9-11 towers and so forth. You're wasting your time when, with the far left and the far right, you know. So um, I am fortunately, as a business journalist, I'm trained in critical thinking. Uh, you know, you can't talk to Richard Branson or Mark Cuban uh, unless you really know your stuff and have thought through things. And so... Uh, you know, I, I've got a pretty good ability, and I tried to apply that critical thinking from a kind of pragmatic, business, mundane standpoint to analyzing the supernatural. So that's kind of the take that I take to God Reconsidered. And, um, you know, not everybody's going to agree with me, but I try to pursue the logic. And sometimes the logic takes you to very strange places, like mm. quantum physics. Right. As you mentioned earlier, right in the beginning of this uh, interview, and, um, you know, you brought in sort of um, politics here, and that's not a bad thing. 
But now I'm sort of curious what your thoughts were on Donald Trump and his run. Oh, it's very simple. I was for many years the um, presidential historian for a major newspaper. I would write all the, I would read all the biographies, interview all the historians, conservative and liberal, on the great presidents. So I have a pretty good background in the greatest scholarship. And um, there's a conservative scholar named Alvin Felsenberg who wrote The Leaders We Deserve, which is by far the best, most objective uh, ranking of the president. And I had a meeting with him when he spoke out at the Nixon Library. Um, and he said every historian that he knows thinks Trump will be rated forever as the worst president. I mean, I've thoroughly researched him. There's, there's no question, no matter what the, the uh, conservative so-called media say, uh, Brian Stelter wrote this book called Hoax, which is about how, you know, Rupert Murdoch wanted to make a lot of money off Fox, and they, they live in an alternative reality. Uh, I am, for the record, a moderate Democrat, which means everybody hates me. Um, I'm <laughs> in disagreement with the far left. I don't think they're practical at all. I don't think either of the extremes understand how democracy works. Democracy means you have to make progress by compromise. It's unfortunate. You have to persuade people that you're right. And um, But at this point, you know, if you listen to... Um, Evan McMullen and uh, Steve Schmidt and a lot of other um, principled conservatives, George Will, whoever thought that he would come out and vote for a Democrat, um, the Republican Party has literally sold its soul to the devil. Um, the PolitiFact and other very nonpartisan objective analyzers of Trump will tell you that, you know, he's told about, roughly speaking, 20,000 brazen lies. It's inexcusable. Uh, I am not a liberal. I am not a diehard conservative. I'm pro-business, pro-strong military. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the more ideal... I grew up at the time of Reagan, and I know what a principled conservative is. Uh, he must be rolling over in his grave. He and JFK had a lot in common in, in many ways. Um, so I, I, um, I hope our country can recover from this. And um, I'm hopeful that we can get the, the firearms things. Incidentally, for firearms, uh, I was the writer about firearms innovation. Really? Innovate. Oh, yes, for Investors Business Daily, which is to the right of Wall Street Journal, which recently acquired it. I have written, I've interviewed um, experts on all the gun innovators in history, Sam Colt and all the guys. So I'm very friendly with firearms innovators and stuff. But um, there isn't the slightest excuse in the world for the way we leave it unregulated. And... Um, Hopefully, we're going to have some pragmatic changes because um, otherwise, we're going to keep having the massacres by nuts. And um, 
anyway, we'll see what happens. But I, I am hopeful. I am You're hopeful. positive yeah. about the future of our country, and I think we will recover. Understood. And before we jump off the subject and we shut it down here, what are your thoughts on, let's say, the the current president, Joe Biden? What What are your thoughts and opinions on his current run so far? Here we are four months in. I would recommend that people um, read the op-ed page of the New York Times. Contrary to the Fox propaganda, the New York Times is uh, very well fact-checked. You can get a digital version of it very, very cheaply. They have some of the best op-ed writers in the world. Tom Friedman, who is a centrist, writes these brilliant columns on economics and global politics and other things. Um, and he and um, David Broder, who's a, a moderate conservative, have written a lot of great columns about how everybody is astonished by how Biden has been transformed from kind of a, a bumbler when he was running for president previously. And um, he has the makings, it looks, of a great pragmatist and a bold thinker. Um, I think a year from now, he will be shown to have done the right thing in bringing the pandemic uh under control, how conservatives could try to justify Trump, you know, getting the vaccine, not telling anybody, knowing it was going to be dangerous to have the pandemic. Uh, you know, they, they brought up Hillary Clinton on charges that he, she murdered four people um, in Benghazi at the, <laughs> you know, 10 hearings on that. But they let Trump totally off the hook. There is no question, incidentally, I've listened to and read a bunch of books on this subject, that, um, that Putin and his cronies tried twice to help Trump, and they succeeded once, and they failed the second time. And the, the evidence is massive, and he, the Russians have laundered massive amounts of money through his bank accounts. That's how he recovered from his two bankruptcies. Uh, it'll all come out eventually. Uh, he's the biggest fraud in politi American political history. And uh, unfortunately, you've got about 40% of the public that is brainwashed. And I blame it on the Electoral College, uh, which is an 18th century mechanism to keep us from mob rule, supposedly. It's outlived its usefulness. Its biggest problem is that it's... Um, Majority rule. Uh, whoever gets 51% of the vote gets all the electoral college votes. It's not mandated in the Constitution, but that's the way it works for all but Maine and Nebraska. And what that means is that the political minority in each state has its vote taken away and awarded to the winner. So that really needs to be reformed. It's not democratic. The Supreme Court and the Constitution say one person, one vote. Right now, we don't have that. We don't have democracy. Understood. And what do you make of his son, Hunter Biden, and all those allegations between uh, his dealings with China and the Ukraine? It's irrelevant. Does It doesn't matter. You don't really care. It's irrelevant. He doesn't have a position of power. Uh, P, you know, I know that phony giveaway by the Chinese cult newspaper, 
you know, tries to stir up stuff about that. They don't seem very concerned about uh, all of uh, Trump's doings with the Russians and everything like that. I mean, they love to distract with Benghazi and Hunter Biden, all that kind of nonsense. And they show no interest in the fact that Trump is the biggest liar in history. Again, I say this as a political centrist. Uh, the Republican Party has become totally corrupt. That's why George Will and Steve Schmidt and Evan McMullen and others left the party. Um, eventually, it will recover. But right now, it's in the grip of QAnon. Anybody who thinks that as many conservatives, most recently the lieutenant governor of Georgia, have admitted, and Mitch McConnell admitted, Trump caused the January 6th riot that took over the Capitol. Um, the leaders are on record, you know, now they're trying to backpedal. But um, the, the Republican Party has become hopeless. So, uh, you know, principled conservatives supported Biden as uh, the least of the evil, shall we say, for people who don't agree with him. Uh, time will tell whether his moves are correct, but the thing he's doing right is he's going to get the pandemic under control. Unfortunately, the, these cowboy mentality types who think that if you wear a mask, you've lost all your liberty. <laughs> yeah, they're in right. buddy, and it might continue to go on. Hopefully that and the variants, you know, don't cause us. But he's, I think Biden's doing everything necessary. But, you know, their answer is, but what about Hunter Biden? How about the half million people that Trump effectively killed? You're not concerned about that? No, it's Hunter Biden. You know, it, it's just absolutely. I think it really depends on who you talk to. You know, sometimes certain people will lean either left or right. So, you know, if it's someone that they like, they're going to defend them uh, tooth and nail. I mean, there's someone right now in the chat room, Dave Paxton, who says, well, Michael brought out an anti-Trumper. But the thing is, this guy's been listening to my show, I don't know, for how many years now. And he still hasn't come to the realization that I don't like any politician. I don't like anyone on the left. I don't like anyone on the right. So I yeah. mean, I could sit here and listen to you trash these people because I'm not emotionally attached to any of them. They don't care about me and I don't care about them. Go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. But Michael, uh, <laughs> yes. not all leaders are equal. You cannot. Well, that's true. Sort of. Kind of. No, no. Uh, you have to have a leader in democracy. And Trump's lies and his corruption, which will come out, um, uh, I think it's um, Unger's book, um, House of Trump, House of Putin, has all the mob money details you want. Anybody who compares Trump with anybody else, Republican or Democrat, hasn't done their homework. They're listening to Fox and they're on with QAnon and all that stuff. Um, I'm not going to give them the time of day. George Will and Steve Smith and other, David Broder and other principled conservatives agree with me. Tom Friedman. Um, anybody defending Trump now, uh, they're impossible. They're going to want to believe. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming, but uh, they're never going to be persuaded. That 40% of the country will continue to believe that the election was stolen. Even though every Republican Secretary of State admits there was no 
significant voter fraud. They'll still believe it, and you cannot change their mind. You know. So, well, they went to court over seventy times. I, you know, you would expect them to come to the conclusion that maybe there wasn't voter fraud. I don't know, but that's up to the courts. I wasn't there. I'm, you know, I don't know the way that works. And yeah, they had seventy or sixty different cases before Republican judges. In many cases, appointed by Trump, the Republican secretaries of state all affirmed there was no significant voter fraud. This is not going to persuade him any more than the Secretary of State of Hawaii releasing uh, Obama's birth information. You know, uh, they are convinced, and, and I do think that it's not very subtle racism that Obama was born in Africa. You cannot convince these people. I know the history of the South very well. I'm an authority on the Civil War. We've been to Richmond and Atlanta and the Civil War museums. I've interviewed Ron Chernow and many of the great Civil War historians. I was writing a book on the alternative history of the Civil War, the things that people don't know about. And it was a centrist um, article, a book that I was going to write with a friend, my best friend, my editor at one time, who um, is a diehard Trumper supporter. So we were going to present the things that people don't know about the Civil War, but I know the history of the South and the lynching and the Jim Crow laws. Anybody who thinks that what's going on with all these 47 or 43 states or whatever it is with their changes in the voter things doesn't know the history of Jim Crow. It's voter suppression and that's my number one beef against the Republican Party. Understood. Fair enough. And by the way, you mentioned uh, Trump and COVID, and that's one of the things that I did have a big issue with um, everything, really. The fact that it was sort of downplayed and suppressed, that sort of thing. You know, everyone sort of knew, but they didn't really tell the public. You know, I've always felt that President Trump was known and loved and revered for his transparency. But then you get that phone call and you hear that he played it down. You know, I don't really like that. I, you know, it kind of bothered me there. Yeah, well, the, he's the one that admitted that he knew in advance. Everybody, right. else, everybody else was guessing because nobody had been through a modern pandemic like this. And it was inconceivable that people would not take the precautions they took during the 1980 uh epidemic, which killed about 75 million people worldwide, uh, you know, uh, wearing masks and things like that. They didn't quite have the same cowboy mentality back then. They they didn't have vaccines and they didn't know what to do other than trying to protect themselves. But, um, you know, this, this I, I, I do think there could be a, a link between the quantity of vaccines given children very early in autism. I'm a dissenter from uh, the scientific so-called consensus on that. I've seen evidence otherwise. But the notion that all vaccines are poison and we shouldn't be vaccinated and you don't need to wear a mask and all this kind of stuff, I think these anti-vaxxers in the case of this pandemic have made a fatal mistake. Mistake, yeah. And they, they are responsible. Trump and all the people who listened to him when he played it down. The scientists didn't play it down. They, 
the, the mistake everybody made, the experts made, is they didn't realize, they didn't focus on the uh, nursing homes, which are about 25% of the deaths. If they had focused on them right from the start, it wouldn't be nearly as dead, deadly as it has. But uh, I blame all the skeptics for not being strict. We could have whipped this pandemic months and months and months ago and saved hundreds of thousands of lives if people had been cooperative. So I've been on the front line because I deal with people all the time as a nutrition consultant who were skeptics about this stuff. You know, and they, right. there was a report say 40% of Marines have kind of rejected vaccination. It's insane. I think eventually people will realize the vaccines are safe. And uh, that's about all that I want to say about it. And you can build up, no contradiction, building up your immunity. That's a good thing for every reason. Understood. And Scott and Sandra, I do want to thank both of you for being a part of the program. I had a a great time here. I'm not sure about you, but I had fun. I, I, I could easily talk to you guys for another hour here. But um, time, yes. Yes, thank you so much. Time is not on our sides here tonight, but I do want to thank both of you for spending your time with us. It was a great time. Uh, Scott and Sandra, I would love to leave you with any parting words here. Sandra, go ahead. If you have any final words uh, to convey, go ahead. I don't think I've ever had such a lively discussion. I think you've been wonderful. It's nice to have somebody who's so receptive to our thinking, our lifestyle, we both really appreciate it very, very much. I know Scott does, and I do too. So thank you again very much. And uh, I would tell people, listen to the show, because Michael really does have an open, objective mind. He tries to treat differing points of view fairly. It's a great forum, Michael. Thank you. Thank you so much. The check will be in the mail, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm, I'm glad you said that, or else you two will be dead by the morning. <laughs> well, yes, once again, thank you so much. We will do this again on the other side. Would love to do a part two with you guys. We'll do it when the time is right. You got it, brother. Thank you so much. We will talk again. Great. Bye-bye. Thanks, Michael. Good night. And there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Scott Smith and Sandra Wells. A great pair there. Some of you in the chat did not like him and her. It went a little south once we brought up, you know, your favorite people in suits. Yeah. Yeah, we lost you once we started going there, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Before I drift off here tonight, boys and girls, I do want to thank all of you for being here with me. It was a good one. I enjoyed that one. I know Oscar did not like that one at all. He hated him. He wants Scott Smith dead. That's okay. That's okay. You might, you know, you're going to come across people like that sometimes. You know, you're not going to like them. Some people are not going to like me, but that's fine too. Once again, I do want to thank all of you for being a part of the program. Yes, Dr. Strange Love, Cave Coon. That's a very, very PC name there. We got Oscar Zero. We have Lilith. We have Brooke in there. We have Melissa in there. We have... Plunky the Clown in there. And shout out to Renee who was here for a moment. He did donate. And I believe he did take the vaccine. And he has not turned into a zombie just yet. That comes after they turn on the 5G. That's when everyone becomes a zombie. 
allegedly. I'm not sure if that's true, but, you know, they say if you get the vaccine, you're going to turn into a zombie once they turn turn that on. I mean, I'm not sure if that's true. I think that might be a lie. And you are welcome, Dave. Yes. And before I close off here tonight, you know, I'm seeing the Let Us Pray by Lilith. Yeah, it is that time to pray. I think we have to find something here. Uh, yeah, let's play this here for you guys. Wherever I go, God rules. When I walk on White House grounds, God walks on White House grounds. I had every right and authority to declare the White House as holy ground because I was standing there and where I stand is holy. Say no to President Trump would be saying no to God, and therefore, and I won't do that. We are in a spiritual war right now. Let every demonic network that has aligned itself against the purpose, against the calling of President Trump, let it be broken. Let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. You want me to tell you what my thoughts are? Holy the shit. thoughts of the King of Kings, the thoughts of the Lord of Lords. I'm downloading heaven. I kind of know I'm a little bit cute, all right? I am Paula, who is pretty. Well, maybe I'm not going to be pretty when I'm 90 years old. Here's this former messed up Mississippi girl. Lived in a trailer that they called trailer trash. Daddy committed suicide. Got pregnant out of wedlock. Been married. Been divorced. Not just once. You know, twice. People go, well, how'd you become the spiritual advisor of the president? We'll get to that later. It's all in there. Michael Jackson, Kid Rock, the president. It's all in there, all right? Thank you, Paula. What a great job you do. The evangelicals. I hear we're more popular than ever with the evangelicals. You're the only one, and she'll tell the truth. She'll only tell the truth. Southern California is looking at, well, there's already law that's passed through the governor that says the Bible is a book of hate speech and to ban the sale of it. Snapchat was created as the largest human trafficking because the greatest people on there were human traffickers because the FBI and because intelligence could not do it because it's live and it's real time and they can track your kid in less than a second and take them. If there's a department of treasury in heaven that God is watching over everything you do and you are storing up eternal treasure that will go so far beyond I think that we can even begin to imagine do you need to send in $3,500 my god yes thank you Paula White for that that's what it was a car crash and Oscar yes I did see your question about circumcision I'm not sure if Sandra would have answered that one, but yes, next time I will ask that question. I think it's a very important question. Circumcision, yes. Fair game, fair game. Once again, before I drift off here tonight, I do want to thank both Scott and Sandra for their time. And keep in mind, if you want additional bonus content of the program, please go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And yeah, that is where you'll find bonus content. And you can expect at least two to three shows a week. Now that I have the Patreon premium blend edition going, it's it's been going pretty good, to be honest. I have been enjoying it very much. Everyone seems to love it very much. So if you like the show and want to support the show and keep the lights on, 
And if you don't, I will be dead. I'll be gone. So patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. Sign up today if you have not. God hates those who have not signed up. Even Satan doesn't like those who haven't signed up. Even Muhammad doesn't like those who have signed up. So don't offend baby Jesus. Sign up today, patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon, or else you'll end up like this guy. Michael Deacon knows how to hurt me. He pretends to be my friend behind the scene, but he's doxed me. He talks shit about me constantly. He tells me the things that the voices in my head used to tell me. Yes, end it now. My words of advice to him. Much respect to all of you listening out there. It's been a great time. Those of you in the chat room, you know where I stand with you. Those of you that want to listen to a replay of this, remember to go to any of your favorite podcast platforms and search Michael Deacon, and that's where you'll find the show. It's been fun, boys and girls. We shall rise soon. Stay safe, everyone. No matter where you are on this island earth, I'm Michael Deacon, reporting to you live from Hell Central, California, a place where you two can go missing. It's true. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. Good night.